0: Good morning, Liberty Plains Baptist Church. How are you guys today? I hope and pray that you're blessed today inside of your homes and able to gather together uh, Sunday morning uh, to see who the Lord is. And I just want to take some time to thank you for joining us here, joining us online um, this week and and as as things progress, we'll keep you updated on on where where we go from there but i I hope and pray you had a good week. I know you know the last couple of weeks of March have seemed pretty pretty long, but you know, even with all of the the changing times and the changing headlines, we can be thankful that we serve and know and can worship an amazing unchanging king. And God, who reigns from his throne in heaven. And we can hope in him forevermore. Today we'll be learning from Psalm 8. It is an amazing passage of scripture. Uh, This psalm was written by King David. Uh, We've been studying the book of Psalms. And uh, David has really been dealing with a lot of issues and problems uh, Psalm 3 was him running from his son, and uh, he was in Psalm 4 telling men of their, their folly. He was telling them to turn, and how, how long would they do that? And then we see in Psalm 6 that David was in fact languishing because of all of his foes. And just last week we saw that David was seeking help as people were pursuing his life. And now we come to a psalm that doesn't really actually have any problems. It has a question, a grand question, but it has a huge avenue of praise in it. And not to say that the other psalms didn't, but it was the fact that that there were a lot of problems and issues, and, and David was still praising in that time, and that's grand and glorious, and especially with the headlines now, it, it tells us how we can praise him even as we're going through these troubled times psalm 8 is a great psalm and i really enjoy uh, its questions and i enjoy how it says things um, because of what is seen in creation and what david looks at and he is able to praise god through the created things that he sees, uh, I actually have loved this psalm for a long time. It was actually my grandma's, uh, my grandma Klein's favorite psalm, and I uh, I read it at her funeral for uh, for the funeral service. Well, today as as we come to the text of Psalm eight, I I really wanted to ask a question: what what helps you get through a day? yo know, is it is it Starbucks? No, no, it's Dutch bros, right? It's Dutch bros yo know, is it our five hour energy drink or maybe that monster drink, or maybe it's a you know any kind of coffee homebrewed or or maybe just a nap to deal with the issues of the day you know, as we de- deal with hurts and hang ups you know what's what's getting us through is it our our family, our friends? maybe that that blog or that YouTube channel that just helps us relax and figure things out, you know, or how to cook dinner because we are totally uninspired today. <clears throat> you know we all have our ways of coping with the situation that is at hand or the the situations or the problems that are going on you know and there there are ways of coping that you know society. Will look down upon. And there are even ones that everyone is fine with. Even the government is fine with these ways of coping. Mainly because they make money off of those ways of coping. But how we get through a day matters. Because the end does not justify the means, which means. Whatever we're doing just to make it through doesn't cut it. We need to find true help through our sin, through our pain, through the problems at hand, in the here and now, and even in the coming future, in the things to come. That is where God comes in and has come in throughout the book of Psalms that we've turned back to to learn some more of, but he comes in to deal with the issues and the problems that are really at hand in our reality today. Now, David says this in Psalm 8, if you haven't turned there already, please turn there with me in Psalm 8. And he says this Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. And you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the path of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You know, this grand passage of Scripture has a lot of truth in it. David speaks about the glory of God. And he tells us that the God of all glory is mindful of humanity. And, in fact, that God has given humanity dominion over the things that God himself has made. It's a great passage that asks and answers one of the oldest questions that humanity struggles with. And some different questions as well. Questions like, who is God? What what do the heavens tell us of him? Who are we? You know, in this picture of creation, it is easy to see and hear things. It is easy to see that things are ordered. Ordered by God. You know, this psalm talks of creation. It talks of God. It talks of, of angels and man. Man. This psalm sets the record straight of who God is and what creation informs us of. It tells us that we are, in fact, God's stewards of his creation. Well, let's take a deeper look at the text here shortly, but let's first go to the Lord in prayer. Please join me. Father God, we... Thank you for a glorious day that we can come to you. We can come to you and and know you personally and, and come and, and praise your mighty name. You are God the Most High. And we thank you for your word today. We thank you for Psalm 8. Lord, we just pray as this pandemic rages on that you would be with those at the front lines that you would be with those at risk that you would be with those dealing with this virus Lord encourage and be with the doctors, the nurses, the scientists fighting this thing Lord be with all of us that are in our homes may we turn to you and gaze upon you and know that how mighty and majestic your name is And that you are mindful of us, God. We thank you for Psalm 8. We thank you for this time together. And may we just be cut and pierced by your word, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now David states this at the beginning of his psalm. In verses 1 and 2, he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name! And all the earth, you have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. But David starts off, O Lord, our Lord. The Lord we have gone over. We we know that it is the name of God who is sovereign. He is self-existent. Well, the second Lord is Adonai, in the Greek. It is a Jewish display of reverence. In the Greek, it's Master, Master. You know, The Lord here is held in high esteem. He is our sovereign self-existent master he is the most high he is held in reverence by the writer and by the people of god david says to the lord how majestic is your name just the name of god the self-existent god his name is majestic the the lord holds that name above the whole earth. Over all and above all, there is no other name that is as majestic, for it is the Lord's name. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this, and we'll read verses 5 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the name. Which everyone will bow to and confess as Lord. Jesus, to the glory of God, his name is majestic. His name is over all because of who he is and what he has done. He didn't just stay in heaven, he came here. He took upon flesh. And he became a servant and died upon a cross for our sin. So God exalted the name of Jesus above every name. The Lord's name is over all throughout the earth. His very glory is above even the heavens we see. You know, God is above creation. He is not a part of his creation. He is distinct from his creation. He is above even the heavens. God is a God who is holy. He is set apart and different from his creation. And he is above all of it. Genesis 1.1 says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God is now and forever and eternal forever. He has been there. The triune God doesn't need anything or anyone else. And he is apart from his creation, full and happy and full of love and glory, and his glory is above even that what we which we see. Yet in what we see actually proclaims God. David says, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength. The God above all has established his strength in babies? What? I, I thought about this for a moment. And it's like, have you ever held a newborn baby? Have you ever held one in your arms and, and seen that part of creation, of, of new life, scream out that there is a God, that there is intelligence and rationality? You know, have you ever had a conversation with an infant? You know, what's, the, what's the question that comes up? It's the question of why? Why, 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 why? We are built to want to understand things and, and see why. Every day, every minute, why? We see wonder, we see the things made, and we ask, why? Why is this like this? You know, I, I wonder from time to time, how, how do people answer that question without understanding who God is? And understanding his glory. But through these little ones, God has stilled his enemies. He has closed their mouths by the mouths of babies. Please turn in your Bibles with me to First Corinthians chapter one. And first Corinthians chapter one, verses eighteen. 19, Paul says this, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made the foolish made foolish the wisdom of the world? for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe For the Jews demand a sign, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ, Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now this is how God goes about destroying man's wisdom and man's way of thinking. First he uses a cross to save, which it says is folly to those that are perishing. It is not the way religion is supposed to work. Grace does not make much sense in the mind of the religious person because grace is grace. It's unmerited favor. A religious person thinks they need to merit something. But God is a God of grace and this is the good news that he brings both Jews and Gentiles, that by Christ crucified, you can be saved from your sin. That is the very power of God. That is the very good news of God, bringing both Jews and Gentiles back to God. In this, God takes away the wisdom of the wise and the man's discernment. God has made what is foolish in the world's eyes, wisdom, in the way of coming to him and believing upon him. It's simple grace. Simply accepting the gift of the Son of God. Because, as we see in the text, people either demand a sign or demand logic. And both of these are stumbling blocks to people that seek one way or another. It is the scandalous folly of God placing His Son upon a cross and bringing redemption to man, but that is the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through Christ. And through that we become a new man. In this, the foolishness of God is wiser than any man's. The weakness of God is stronger than any of his enemies here. This is the majestic Lord God, whose name is above all of creation. Uh, Daniel chapter seven, verses thirteen and fourteen says this: I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the cloud of heavens, cloud with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of man, and he came to the ancient of days, and it was presented before him." And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. This is what Daniel sees in the night vision. With the clouds came one like a son of man who is able to come before God. Another name, uh, ancient of days is another name for him. And was in fact presented before him blameless. The son of man is given dominion and kingdom. And all peoples, nations, and languages are called to serve him. For his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And it will never end. The son of man is Jesus the Messiah here. He is God so he can stand before God blameless. And his rule and reign will be forever And his name will be above all names forevermore. That is the glory of God. That is the majestic name of God. And next we can turn to what this majestic God is mindful of. In verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 8, it says this. When I looked at your heavens, the work of your fingers... The moon and the stars, which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the Son of Man that you care for him? David looks up and he sees the stars, he sees the moon, and he gazes at the wonder of the galaxy and sees the very work of God's fingers. He knows who has set all of those things into place. There is not chaos, but order. There is not disorder, but life and order. You know, there are fine-tuned parameters here upon earth that give us life. David also writes this in Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God And the sky above proclaims his handiwork, day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Creation speaks to the fact, the truth, that there is a God, and he is wonderful. The very heavens acknowledge this truth, the knowledge of God. A.W. Tozer says, That way, the way we picture God is the most important thing about us. Is he some guy in the sky or some deity that just walked away? Or is he a God who is holy and pure and good and loving, full of wisdom and grace and power and different than us but near to us, a personal God all of this matters when we find from creation before us that we are without excuse. Now please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1 we'll read verse 19 and 20. Paul is writing to the Roman church here and he says this. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in these things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Now it is plain that there is a God, you know the cosmological argument, you know the very argument itself is that everything has a cause from arguments to design to fine-tuning and many more arguments stand tall against anyone who says that there is not a god design is here therefore there is a designer information is here therefore there is one who brought information here creation alone gives us what is in theology called general revelation and we ourselves are without excuse for God's invisible attributes in Romans 1, 19 through 20. It says, and his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen in that which has been made. From the cell to the star, it cries that there is a maker. So as David sees all of this and not even all that we can see. He asks, what is man that you are mindful of him? It almost sounds like a, who am I? What is my purpose? And even the other question, does anybody notice me? Does anybody see me? These are questions of our heart. But David knows God is mindful of him. David sees that God cares for him. Throughout the whole Bible, we see a God who is mindful of man from Noah to Sarah to Joseph to all of Israel. He is mindful of humanity to the church because he has created humanity. David knows this, that we are created by God. Please turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. But Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, we'll read at the end of the sixth day. God says this, and then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let it them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them Now, when it comes to the book of Genesis many think It's not very historical anymore, that it's vague or something of what's going on in the first 11 chapters. But the truth is, if we don't have or we don't know our beginning, then no wonder why we deal with so much in our lost culture and in people today. Because if we cannot trust the beginning of how we came to be, we will not know our end And therefore the middle will be a lost mess as well. The truth is God made us. But we are not like other parts of creation. We are made in the very image of God. After his likeness it says. And God has made both male and female in his own image. That answers the question of why God is mindful of us. We are formed by our maker in his image, both males and females, equal but different, both made in the image of God, formed and framed by the Lord, curated, it says. So that is why he cares for us, which brings us to our whole purpose of being. Why are we here What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, it means we are the imago Dei. It's a really cool Latin phrase that means image of God. We are uniquely made in the image of God. We have been given dominion, and we, in fact, bear God's image. We are his representatives. Though we have fallen, we are still cared for by our Creator, Jesus says this in Matthew five, forty-three through 46. He says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who per- persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? God calls us to love our enemies. For he himself gives sun and rain to the unjust and the just. We are called to love all, not just for the reward of what it is in What's in it for me and loving people who will love us back? You know, God cares for all man because they bear his image. Even if they are different from us, they are still his. And he wants us to know our chief end. What brings it all together to glorify God and enjoy him forever. In all that we do, and in Christ alone, we can do just that. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says this. So in whatever you eat and drink and whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And whatever we do in this life, as we are in Christ, working, cleaning, caring for others, flipping burgers, and all the more. We can do all of it for the glory of God, which brings us to the dominion we have been given by God and what it means to take care of things. David continues in Psalm 8, verses 5 through 9. He says this, Yet you have made him a little lower than heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the work of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You know, this part of the psalm brings to bear the rest of who we are <coughs> as humanity. You know, God, in fact, is mindful of us because we are made in his image, so he gives us dominion. <coughs> Verse 5 says, You have made him a little lower than heavenly beings. David here points out the difference between. Two created things. The heavenly beings. Which are angels and demons. And mankind. Man is not God. Though some claim that he is a part of it. And man is not just a soul. Or just physical. As some also claim. Now these are claimed by worldviews. From you know pantheism to naturalism, these world views either elevate man to a, a godhood status or they degrade him to mere goo status. You know, humanity in these world views is seen as a disagreement of the word of the Lord, because yes, man is lower than an angel and and different from an angel. We have bodies and. They do not. We have been, in fact, crowned with glory and honor. Man is made in the image of God so that no matter how small a man is, he bears the image of God. And this is the glory and honor that we shine, that even as we are broken with sin, we still bear the thumbprint of our maker. Angels do none of this. They are, in fact, just messengers of the Most High God. Uh, Please turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel 9. But Daniel chapter 9, uh, verses 20 through 23, it says, While I was still... while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God from the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, then man, then the man Gabriel, whom I have seen in the vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have come to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your plea from mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the words and understand the vision. Gabriel and Michael are two angels in the entirety of the Bible, whose names we know of. There are others, but their names are unknown by Scripture. But as we see here just in Daniel 9, uh, they are swift in flight. They speak to humans, and they give messages from God to humanity. Uh, One of the more amazing occasions is, of course, the Christmas message. In Luke uh, 1, 26-28 is an awesome uh, instance of an angel speaking to Mary. Uh, Check that one out. You know, they appear to people, but they are our spirits, in fact. Hebrews 1.14 says this, speaking of, an, of angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Now, Angels is the context here, saying that Jesus is different from angels. Angels are spirits who are forever worshiping God, in Isaiah 6. And they are before God's throne. They are, in fact, ministering spirits to us, and they are here to help the set apart church. Now, angels and men are both created, but totally different. One is a messenger, and one is an image bearer. One is spirit, and one is a mirror of God. God has, in fact, given. Dominion over the work works of your hands to man, David sings this, he writes it out that man who was made is given creation, is given dominion, and we also know it as stewardship. God has put over his very works man to take care of. His works. To be a steward is to be a, having the job of a supervisor, taking care of something such as an organization or a property. A great example of this comes from J.R. R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, in Return of the King, there is no king in Gondor. And the one who reigns in his stead in this great kingdom of Middle-earth from the books and the movies, is a steward of Gondor. He is to take care of the land and manage it well and await the return of the king. But as we've seen in our world, we stewards would rather not associate or know of the king. Yet we are supposed to acknowledge is coming we are supposed to wait for him we are supposed to trust in him and work things well Yo, know, for all of his things are are what we see the land the seas the whole of creation and that includes me and you Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 and 16 says this of creation and Christ Christ he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created that's creation in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him they're his he created both things in heaven and on earth both things that we see and both things we we do not see And he is over all of them, and all of them were created through him. I like how Paul states it again. Hey, just in case you didn't get that, he created them. He made them, and it is for him. All of creation is for him. And yet, as he spoke out all of creation, as he put it all together, he hands creation to man. He hands dominion over to us. Please turn with me in your Bibles once again to Genesis chapter 1. And we'll go back to the sixth day right after we had just read in verse 28. We had just read verses 26 and 27. Now we'll read 28 through 31. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit, so that you may have them for food. And to every beast on the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. You know, as God has made humanity in his image, he blessed them. He tells them to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. And he gives them dominion, he gives them stewardship over the earth. Over the fish and the birds, over every living thing, and gave us plants to eat for food, and puts us at the top of the created order. And this was very good. This happened on the sixth day of creation. Yeah, I think the first thing I want to point out from this verse is that it doesn't entail us to misuse creation. It tells us to steward creation. You know to not you know, go above and beyond misusing it, but not to go above and beyond worshiping it. I think those are the two extremes. You know we have from companies burning up everything, from people who protest anything, locking themselves to trees. You know, both of these have very different worldviews of what our world is from even a naturalistic philosophy to a, a godhood pantheistic philosophy. Our view is one of stewardship, that we would be faithful of what God has put in our stead. Now that is man's purpose, to steward the earth, to fill the earth and to be over it not the other way around. We are his image and we are called to be faithful over this earth. 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says this, it is moreover it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. This is what God has required humanity in general. So even we as believers in Christ should be about taking care of the planet, not misusing it or giving worship to it as those that are apart from God do. And that's Romans 1, 21 through 23. You know, David recounts Genesis here and tells of all that the Lord has given to us in verses 7 and 8, pointing to creation the the oxen and the sheep, the fish or the birds, all the animals that are able to be tamed. At this point, you know the plants are food for us, but you know, in Genesis 9 3, meat is put on the menu at the end of the flood, you know, as food for us as well. But this gives us farmers and ranchers that we even see right here to today. God has ordered all of this life and has blessed us by doing it. It is about him and his glory and his will and way and we are partakers in it. We are made in the likeness of God and we are God's representatives here even as fallen men. So it comes to Jesus. Jesus redeems and fulfills this. Everything is put under his feet. In Christ, we realize we are so much more. We are so purposed. Wayne Grudem says this when we realize that a God created us to glorify him, and when we start to act in a way that fulfills that purpose, Then we will begin to experience an intensity of joy in the Lord that we have never known before. Like David, we can end a psalm, end a day, go through a day doing this. Just like he did at the beginning, so he comes back at the end and he says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name In all the earth. That is what we see in Psalm 8 that David praises the Lord because of what David sees around him. That David is in wonder of who this God is and the fact that he is mindful of man, but also understands that our greatest purpose is to know God, of who he is and what he has done, and praise him. What this means is that we can look at all of creation and we can see a creator from the stars to even the farm animals to the birds to the fish. We can see all the complexity and all the order and praise God. And also feel very small at the same instant, right? But we can take heart for the God who has purposed and meaning, given us meaning is the one who wants us to personally know him and praise him to steward the work of his hands. Now, Even as we see sin and the fallenness of humanity, we understand that this psalm points to the Messiah. He points to the one who fulfills our grand purpose. And that is Christ. So how does this all affect us today? How can we apply this to our day today? Well, it tells us that even though we have a fallen nature, we still bear the image of our maker and we can be redeemed by the Messiah. We can praise the Lord God who is above all. We can know him personally. We can see the very work of his fingers. And we can know that God is mindful of us. That he cares for us. That he has given us an ordered curation. And to steward it well. Now, In all of that it has implications of how we view any person. Because no matter their place in the life. That we see before us, from the womb to dealing with disabilities, from walking in the ways of evil and upon their deathbeds, they all, every single one of them, bear the image of God and have this purpose called out to them to know the Lord God and to praise Him, for He is worthy of all praise and old glory, and in Christ alone, we can do that. We can go forward in that because Jesus is the fulfilling Messiah. He is the equipping Messiah, and he allows us to go forward in his grace. I'd like to end with a quote from the book Understanding the Times by David Noble and Jeff Myers. They say this, The Christian story of creation is this, a rational creator made human beings in his image releasing them to relate and create this is the foundation of everything from human of human rights social order marriage it is in short the framework of the good life for the individual and all civil society if god has in fact given us our identity our purpose, and he has ordered creation in order that we might praise him and enjoy him forevermore. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for today. Thank you for everything that you have given us, Lord. We thank you for Psalm 8. We thank you for the book of Psalms and the time that we've spent in it uh, leading up to Palm Sunday and Easter. Father, we just pray for our nation. We pray for all the nations of the world dealing with this pandemic right now. We pray for families that are struggling. Help them reach out to to anyone around them to to find help. Lord, we pray for our church. We lift up every single one of them. Lord, uh, as we gather on Sunday, that we would be blessed by you, that we would... Read your word, study your word, and apply your word to life today. Help us be cut by it. Help us go forward. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.